Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus appears in the upper room after his resurrection and declares this in John 20. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, you are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The story of the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and the payment would be made. The servant then fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? In his anger, he handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So my father also will do to each of you who does not forgive his brother his trespasses from his heart. Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Would you pray with me, Father? Uh, we're coming to a, a pretty significant topic today, and I just pray that you would kind of corner our hearts in just a, a profound way that really can only happen by the work of your Spirit. Thank you that you love us and work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said this from the cross. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they were doing. It was probably, I think, his fifth or sixth statement from the cross as he was giving his life up. And I really want to talk about the real F word today. I believe it's one of the most important words in our vocabulary of our faith, forgiveness. It's one of the most important and constant needs I believe we have as people who walk with Jesus. Or if, even if we don't. Isn't it true that how often in our lives do we get dinged? Do we get mishandled? Do we get misjudged? Do we get hurt and experience pain? And as you heard this story, there's a really powerful statement where Jesus said, therefore the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this. Hear me, that's important because what he's saying is, is this whole idea of forgiveness isn't some nice little churchy idea, uh, but it's the way and the rule of my kingdom. The way that I have established well, the rule of my life, not only in the midst of, but around and through my people. And also, I made life to function this way. Why? Well, so that we could all experience what he calls the fullness of life, the abundant life. Don't we describe forgiveness probably in some different ways? Things like, let's just bury the hatchet. Sometimes when we say that, we probably mean, let's bury the hatchet in somebody's head, you know? <laughs> Let bygones be bygones. Let's just kiss and make up. Build a bridge and get on over it. Oh, 
Don't you just wish it was so easy? If you'll indulge me, I'll share a couple of, um, I won't give you time frames, but I'll say that they're fairly recent to show you the smallness of soul that I can often have and how this often has to just be continually worked out in, in my personal life. It was probably five years ago, somebody came into my office and they just kind of let me know in no uncertain terms what they thought of me. And I thought it was totally unfair, unjustified, wrong, out of place, judgment. I mean, I could just list. I told this person as they left and they, they had said on a number of occasions, you know, I, I know I'm critical. I, and they said about five, I, I know I'm critical. I come from a critical family. And by the time they were done, I said, I just want you to know you are critical. But I was gracious to them because that's what pastors are supposed to do. Um, and, and I mean that because I really wanted to clock them. But <laughs> the, the, the sad thing is, is when they left, I let it go and, 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 and I you know, welcomed them to leave the church because I didn't think that they could get anything from somebody that they felt that strongly about. And <clears throat> they ended up leaving. It was probably four or five years ago. I couldn't give you the exact time frame. And uh, I, I let it go, um, you, you know, but you, you remember those things, don't you? And uh, it was within a season, a short season, time, not that long ago, that I was called out to kind of an emergency situation. And because this person still continues relationships with Creeksiders, which is great, I saw this person there. And I'd really totally pretty much forgotten about him until I saw them. And there was probably seven or eight people around, and I realized very quickly that this is one person that I really didn't want to see. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even going to go up and talk to them. As a matter of fact, I avoided them at all costs, except to just give them the perfunctory pastoral, hi, how you doing? Thanks for coming to be a part of what's going on here. And then quickly moved on. Because as I approached this situation that I was walking into, it was kind of flammable, it was highly intense, all of a sudden the focus become not my ministry that I needed to participate in there, but the pain in my stomach and the knot that I was feeling and and, and some of the things that started washing over me from just a few years earlier. Well, I gained my focus and uh, did my pastoral thing and... Um, I don't mean like I just did my pastoral thing, but I mean I, I ministered life into the situation beyond what I was feeling. And it was a couple weeks later, we were doing our band of brothers, and the Lord said, you're going to confess this before the brothers. And I said, Lord, I'm a pastor. Come on. Just give me a little break here. Let me work through it. Well, you haven't done that for four years, so you probably better start now. Confession, James says, is part of the healing process. So I got to sit before the band of brothers, and you know if you're part of band of brothers or soul sisters, there's two questions. What's God saying to you? Um, I'm unforgiving. Here's the story. What's the second question? What are you going to do about it? So after I unpacked my story and confessed my sin... And it wasn't really like I'd harbored it because I'd forgotten about it. But I was thrust in this situation that forced it to the surface. And I told the guys, I said, this is what I think I need to do. I need to call this person because that's the way of the cross. That's the last thing I want to do. I'd rather just be able to say, hey, guys, I confessed it. You forgive me. God's forgiven me. Let's move on. And I said, I got a couple of options, and one of them is to call, one of them is to do what I just said, and I think I had one other option, and they all looked at me like, what's he going to do? And one of the guys said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. What do you think I should do? <laughs> and then one of the guys bravely said, well, Pastor, it, just from what I've heard, it sounds like you need to call this guy. And I go, oh, great. <laughs> but I knew he was right. So I called him. Met with him. I said, listen, I need to tell you that uh, this is about me. This has nothing to do with you. I'm not trying to castigate anything that happened in the past. But I said, do you remember that time you came into my office? And they said, yes. And I said, well, um, 
I realized when I saw you two weeks ago that, I've, that it, it, it brought to the surface some really ill feelings that I had towards you. And I said, I, I need to ask you to forgive me for that. Because, see, whether, whatever happens here is, is important because this isn't about a relationship that is just here on earth. You and I are going to be brothers in eternity. And if I don't learn to deal with it here, it's going to affect up there. Well, I don't know that it's going to affect our relationship up there because we'll be like Jesus, we'll be perfect. But there's something about how it all works out and, and part of the reward system. And I said, and Jesus brought it very clearly to me that I need to ask you to forgive me. So, you know, over about 45 minutes, I just kind of unpacked and asked him to forgive me. And there was kind of this. <laughs> and what I realized is that, you know, some, it doesn't matter. It, it, it really doesn't matter. It wasn't like they, they, they said, well, you know, they kind of went back to, the, well, I know I was critical, but there was no sense of maya culpa that said, you know, I'm really sorry, man. I can't believe I did that, blah, blah, blah. And I just had to sit there and almost kind of relive it. But I made the decision going in that I'd already forgiven him. And what I want to tell you about that is, is that what you got to do sometimes? And sometimes, you know what? You'll go into situations like this, and you won't necessarily get the response that you want. A few months, uh, it wasn't too much uh, time later that the Lord brought me to another situation where a person had deeply disappointed me, let me down. D- person that I had helped probably, uh, I had helped them in so many ways over a pretty long season of time and helped them just move forward in their life and, and kind of get healed and get some freedom and move forward and just, and they said they would do things, they said they would never do to me what some other people had done. And then all of a sudden I started to realize they had probably done worse to me than what other people had done. And it really started to just kind of build up in my soul. And pretty soon I found myself talking about it and always using it as an example. And the reason I was doing it is because I wanted to make a point for the future that I wouldn't let it happen again. But I realized that a lot of that was just coming out of the pain and the disappointment that it would happen like somebody that I'd done so much for. And so in this process, God begins, like a sliver. You know how you get a sliver? You know it's there, but you can't really get it out. You don't bother digging with it, and all of a sudden it starts to get just a little infected, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's right there, and you've got to deal with it. Sometimes that's how unforgiveness is. God, because he loves us so much, will put us in these positions where he says, I want to deal with some of the deep slivers in your soul that you've kind of let go. Because what I realized, and this is what I believe the Lord spoke to me, that that second incident become much bigger and more infected because it was another layer of another area of unforgiveness that I hadn't dealt with. And that because, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, quote, strong person, I can get through it. But that's not what we're called to do spiritually is to get through We're not called to ever be a victim. We're called to be the victor in Christ Jesus that he brings to us. Often some of the most important life decisions we have to make time and time again, loved ones, in the small, the medium, the big, the major, is that we forgive the people around us. Haven't we all felt at some point when we're faced with these unfair circumstances where we feel betrayed, that we've got to balance out the universal scales of justice? We've got to make sure that we make it right. But see, the question before Jesus is always, how do you handle it when you've been unjustly treated, mishandled, gouged a bit? Something or someone just rips you off. And see, it's not that I sat there and ever doubled up my fist at anybody or anything, but I realized that at times I was really doubled up inside and they were really knots, knots of unforgiveness and pain, and it really become a posture of soul because I'd been treated unjustly, misunderstood or hurt. And it takes place that we often get to this place where we begin to really feel justified with such a response. Well, it's just. Somebody's got to take care of this. Except what? Well, except that we have this Lord of heaven who has forgiven us and he now calls us to live, as we read, in this whole climate, this whole, whole wonderful environment and atmosphere of forgiveness. 
There's probably not one of us here that is able to do this well all the time, I would bet. And sometimes we think, well, it's just the devil working on me, you know? No, it's not the devil, because there's just enough stuff in us. I don't, the devil wasn't doing that to me, it's just in my heart. There's just enough of me that's not good, that still hasn't been transformed by the love of Jesus continually all the time. It's so easy to slip into this. Well, I gotta, I, I gotta take charge of this. But the teaching is crystal clear here, loved ones, in all of Scripture. And the fact remains that oftentimes we have a difficulty doing this. We don't know what's happening or why it's happening. But we need to respond in the heart and the life of Jesus. And for me, it was simply this. It's, it's about reapplying a lesson that I already know. And most of us will know this lesson today. The key is, is that we continually apply it under the life of Jesus. It's in these situations I realized I needed to pray for these people and my smallness of attitude toward them because of the issues, the disappointment that had become layered over time. And I had to go to a higher court than Terry's court. I had to go before the heavenly tribunal of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And when I went to them, you know what they declared? Let it go. Let it go. Because, see, as you and I, loved ones, come to plead our case before this merciful God in heaven for having rights, I have the right to deal with this injustice. I have the right to deal with this hurt. How can I let them do this to me? I am not a welcome mat. (laughs) But you know what the question becomes? On what grounds do you plead your case before this God of heaven? Who lovingly, graciously, but straightforwardly will say to you, I have forgiven you every wrong, every sin, and now I call you to do the same thing based on, the based on the forgiveness that you have received. There are no exceptions to this. I'm a fairly good father. I'm a faithful husband. I'm a reasonably nice guy. I, I can make it as a pastor. But there are times I don't like the terms set forth by this sovereign Christ. And I bet there's times when you feel the same way where you want to satisfy and settle the universal scales of justice for the situations that you face. I want to talk about that today because I realize that the greatest pain some of us have is those things that get lodged in our soul, those slivers of pain, but they'll always become infected. The central issue is wrapped up in the text that were read on the screen. The abiding principle, loved ones, of our responsibility in life is to live in a climate of forgiveness. It is ultimately for the benefit of none other than you, yourself. Often believe and feel like unforgiveness protects us, don't we? That if I, if I set this up and, and I, I, if, I, if I'm unforgiving, I can kind of marginalize them and make them pay. It'll protect me. But it's like the old saying goes, unforgiveness is like, it's like taking poison and hoping it will kill off the other person. Ultimately, it only hurts you. So let me give you a few Jesus thoughts this morning. Number one, he says in Matthew 25, 23, and 24, that if you bring your altar, your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave it there and go take care of it. Here's the point. If you're packing stuff around, your worship before God will be affected. It just will. You say, well, pastor, you preached and did all that. Yeah, I know. But, I, but, but, but there was a time when I really didn't realize what was taking place on the inner recesses of my heart. And that's why when it really became clear that I needed to go take care of it. I mean, there was one time when I was wrong with Trina. And, and uh, I mean, really wrong. And, and I remember that, that, that it was like on a Friday night, and I just, I was, I was so right that I became wrong, and I don't like that. And, <clears throat> uh, and, 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 and I knew I had, Sunday was coming, and I know there's one thing that if, that if there's anything major out of place, I've got to take care of it before Sunday. Otherwise, it just affects me. And I, and, and I went to the Lord, I said, Lord, I really don't want to deal with this. He says, well, do you want your words just to pile up in front of you so that you can literally see them? Well, no, Lord, I would never. Well, then you just go do that and humble yourself before your little bride. It will affect 
your worship. And you have to be able to learn to take care of it when the God speaks to you. Because see, what's interesting, Jesus says, it's not only if you have something against someone, but if you know someone has something against you. I mean, the Lord's really stretching it there. See, this guy didn't have nothing against me. He'd already let it out. (laughs) But I had to deal with my heart toward him. And he says, you go and make it right. Well, does that mean that we should track down everybody that has something against us? Heavens, no. Might be a full-time job for some of you. (laughs) You know? You you, got to be discerning on this, okay? But he is saying, and I believe it, you, you, you take it this way, that, you know, if you're, if, if you're out somewhere, and, and this is what happened to me, if all of a sudden you just come into a situation, you realize there's not forgiveness, that you've got something, there's a knot in your stomach against somebody, there's an issue, you know, you, 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 as soon as you know it, you say, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to worship, I'm not going to take care of this priority until I get taken care of this issue over here. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. This is what I learned about my life. Forgotten grace breeds unforgiven living. The more I forget about the grace of Jesus Christ toward me, the easier it is for me to be unforgiving toward others who aren't gracious toward me. And again, I come back. When Jesus speaks and says, there's this in your heart, I want you to face it. I want you to deal with it. Because it will ultimately affect you here, but more importantly, it'll affect you here. Secondly, forgiveness is about grace, not goodness. Forgiveness is about grace. It's never about goodness. The story of the wicked servant, you heard it there. The rabbis taught based on uh, the book of Amos, where the prophet Amos talked about forgiveness, it said three or four times. So they believed and taught the rabbis in Jesus's and Peter's day. They said, listen, forgive that perp, maybe two, maybe three times, and that's it. So Peter was really being magnanimous. I mean, he'd walked with Jesus now for a short time, and he said, whoa, Lord, how about if I forgive seven times? And Jesus quickly steps up, and he ups the ante, and he says, hey, Pete, what do you think about 490? And Peter's like, there's a lot of hyperbole in this story, but Jesus is really underscoring how serious this thing is. He's saying, in my kingdom, In my kingdom, it's not about keeping count. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? What does it say? Love keeps no score. Love doesn't take into account. And Jesus is saying here, it isn't like there's this, you know, you you get 490 checks. He's putting this out there so far that, listen, nobody's even going to think, oh, gee, 374, 391. He's saying, no. This is how you're built to become a kingdom person. In this story, hear this. This first servant, he, his master calls him in for an account. It says he owed 10,000 talents. Somebody figured that out, that that would have been 60 million days of wages. Not 60 million dollars or whatever their currency was, 60 million days of wages. So if you made a dollar a day, that'd be $60 million. And Jesus really uses hyperbole here to make and underscore his point. It's more money than this servant could ever even begin to think about paying back. He couldn't even make a dent in the interest. If he would have just paid a minuscule, he would have gone deeper and deeper into a hopeless hole of debt. And Jesus is graphically trying to portray the power of this story. And the servant comes to the master, and what does he say? Verses 26 and 27, he says, The servant therefore fell down before him. He's like, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion. And he released him, forgiving him the debt. This is ridiculous. This guy comes and he says, give me time. It's a ridiculous proposition. He would never be able to pay it back. And the the master, he gives mercy on him, probably because of his intellectual deficit. Just the fact that he would say that, the guy goes, oh, this poor man doesn't have a brain. Because it it was an unreasonable request and proposition. And it wasn't because the man was good. It was because of the master's grace. He wipes out the whole debt. This guy literally wins the lotto, the super roll, the big pick. And you want to talk about free. I mean, you probably know what it's like to get a debt from $5,000. But the master, 
is a great picture of Jesus and how he responds with this wonderful expression and flow of forgiveness to release this man from his obligation of debt, freedom from the penalty and debt of sin as Jesus did us. The master in his mercy erases the debt saying, I release you from obligation. You owe me nothing. Not because you're so good, but because I'm so filled with grace. You see that in Jesus? You know what grace is, don't you? That grace is getting what you don't deserve. This guy didn't deserve that. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So this guy got the bookends of it. He got freedom, didn't deserve it, and he got mercy. He, he could have been thrown in the debtor's jail. But now we come, and as you read this story and you hear it, there's this, there's this twist in the plot. The servant exits stage right. He's got to be doing a hallelujah jump or something. But what does it say that he does? He literally, he goes out and finds another servant who owns him a minuscule amount of money. One talent was worth about 6,000 denarii, maybe. This would have been chump change, pocket change that this guy owed him. But he see, see this picture, he's angry. I, this is what unforgiveness will often do to us. He just, he, 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 he's been released of this debt but there's still something in it. There's still a sliver in his soul that he goes out. He finds this, this other servant that owes him pocket change. And what does he do? It says he grabs him by the throat. He wants to throttle him. He's angry. I mean, it's crazy. So he accosts this guy to give him this little penance in comparison with what he owed the king. It's funny. What does the guy say to him? Give me a second chance. It says he falls before him. Give me a second chance. Listen, if you want to, this is what's so cool about how Jesus, you know, tells stories because he basically echoes the very things to his ears what he said to the master. He fell down and said, have patience with me. I will pay you. The big difference is the one guy could never pay the king. This guy could have paid him back in a short time. He receives mercy, but he gives no mercy. And then he compounds the stupidity of this by having him thrown in the debtor's prison until he could pay. Hello, another brain leakage. Are you kidding me? Let me see. I need the money, but I think I'll just throw you in prison. You don't make money in prison. So the very thing that he wanted, he would never get. I wonder if one of the points of application that isn't so obvious from here, that when you hold grudges and unforgiveness, you'll react in stupid ways and try to hurt the other person. But in truth, you'll be hurting yourself. Because that's what ultimately happened with this man. Hurt his family. Now, the other servants of the master of the king, he sees this, what's taken place. And he goes back and he tells the master this whole story. And so the master calls him back and he looks at the guy. I mean, you can just imagine how he's feeling. He says, I forgave you. Shouldn't you have mercy and compassion on your fellow servant? And we get to see again that everything starts with Jesus. Jesus clearly points out our total inability through this story to save ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to cover our debts. This guy could never pay a debt. And we, loved ones, are in this total lost state. We can never pay our way. And to whatever degree that we really fail to see and remember our helplessness and our hopelessness, we become like the servant and risk the forgetfulness of what Jesus has done for us. And we forget to see our failings. And when we forget to see our failings, then it's really easy to to not see the other people's failings and to be able to forgive them. And Jesus continually underscores this in this story. It's so easy to see our sins mistreatment with skewed perspective. They're never as bad as what we do to others, or it's never as bad as what we've done to the lover of our soul. 
I love what Catherine Marshall, how she defined forgiveness. She said it this way. Forgiveness is releasing another from your personal judgment. And when we understand that the judge of the universe is the ultimate judge, guess what? It gets much easier to to release people from our personal judgment. When you don't live with a spirit of forgiveness and of releasing, it will lead you to being tormented and imprisoned with a shrinking soul over time. And notice this, another principle. Stop rehearsing and start releasing. Lack of forgiveness can come about due to genuinely being mistreated, wounded, and betrayed. It can happen in marriage, divorce, parents, kids, friends, work situations. You know what? It can happen with God when God lets you down. When God doesn't fulfill what you desire or what you think you deserve or what you need. And many of us carry wounds from these very significant relationships. But when we hold on to them, you know what we do? Ultimately, the, high, the, 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 the tighter we grip onto them, the more we, we rehearse them. Do you ever find yourself just replaying in your mind, going around and around, something that somebody did to you or something that happened? Well, that's rehearsing. And you know what that does? That ultimately causes deeper issues. And soon the grudge that you're holding now holds on to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, talks about that if we, if, if, if we allow a spirit and root of bitterness to go in, it begins, to, it begins to, to take hold of our life. And pretty soon we begin to miss the grace of Christ. There's a toxic trio of trouble, I believe, in our lives that ultimately affect us when we don't forgive. First of all, it's anger. Builds up over time. Find it interesting that the unforgiven servant accosted the guy, the other servant. Why? Because there's something of anger in him. He hadn't forgiven, so therefore the anger begins to build up. And we know that anger turns to a couple of things. Depression. A lot of of psychologists say that anger is simply, or excuse me, depression is simply our anger turned inside. They're not happy with us. But it leads to resentment. It happens over time where you rehearse the pain, the mistreatment, the injustice, not getting what you deserve from God. Others are getting it, but I'm not. How come? That's not fair. Look at me. Look what I do. And pretty soon that gets tracked in our thinking and in our mind. And it becomes a rut that begins to build roads into the deep recesses of our heart in our mind. I have a friend who put it this way, don't let anyone live rent-free in your mind. But that's what too many of us do. And then it begins to affect everything around us. And then it leads to bitterness. It's where it gets so worked into our lives that it gets rooted into our soul, our heart, and our thinking. And if you've been around bitter people, you know you don't have to be around them very long and it just begins to bleed out. And then it affects us in a few ways. It keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us from growing and pressing forward spiritually. Instead of looking up, what are we doing? We're always looking around. And when you aren't looking up and saying, Jesus, you have forgiven me, I need to forgive, and you begin to look around, you get into some comparison traps and feeling traps. And and if you don't forgive, you can never truly live. Forgiveness means that what someone did will no longer hold you back. It will not affect your present or hinder your future. Dr. Lewis Smedes, who's an influential, great Christian theologian, published a great book. I'd recommend it if you struggle with this. It's called um, uh, Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts that We Don't Deserve. Smedes wrote about forgiving, not as a blessing you could confer upon those who have hurt you, but rather as a way to heal your own pain. And see, sometimes we we operate on the basis of just the opposite. If I don't forgive, then I hold this pain, and guess what? I'm hurting them. No, no, no. You're hurting you. But when you release it, you get to move into healing. 
Secondly, we, it opens us up to the attacks of the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, listen, they had to remove this man because he was um, fornicating with his, his stepmother. And, and they were proud of it. And, and he says, I want you to move him out of the church. But now he writes in 2 Corinthians, that was 1 Corinthians 5. Now he writes in 2 Corinthians, and he says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For I indeed, I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that, <clears throat> that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul knows how the enemy can come in and attack churches and people and individuals and families and lives without unforgiveness. And Paul says, listen, I have forgiven that man. You've forgiven him. Don't marginalize him. Don't isolate him. He's repented. Bring him back. Why? So the devil doesn't have an opportunity. That's why so many churches go sideways and get skewed and messed up because people begin to live and hold grudges and resentments against people. And then the flow of love begins to diminish. And then the move of God begins to diminish because people aren't open to what Jesus wants to speak to them. And Paul says, you forgive them so you don't give the enemy a foothold. Back to Jesus' story, the master says what? There will be tormentors. You know what those tormentors are in that language? It's bill collectors. He says, for the rest of your life, you're going to have these tormentors. You're going to have these bill collectors. Think of it. Think of this. A man that was once forgiven all his debts, now he has to come back and face the relentlessness of... Pay up how much you got today for the rest of his life. Well, what does that mean for us? Medical science has shown the effects of long-term resentments and unforgiveness on our health. Smeeds writes, and he says, Today scientists tend to agree that holding a serious grudge can cause stress, which has toxic effect on the body. Unforgiveness, which researchers define as repeatedly thinking about an injustice you've suffered through a, through a lens of vengeance, hostility, bitterness, and resentment, angerness, sadness, or all the above, raise your blood pressure, your risk of stroke and heart attack. It can impair the functioning of your immune system. I'm not saying that because some people are sick that they have unforgiveness. You understand that. But there could be some that we experience some of the things in our lives because of that. Because it becomes so toxic to our soul. Romans 12, 17 through 19 says this, Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath, uh, to, to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In, in reading for this, preparing for this talk, one of the writers was saying that the reason we love vengeance so much is because it feels so good for a short time, but it never lasts need to do as the Lord says, let it go. It's God's department and his prerogative for vengeance. I suppose many of us secretly hope that somehow I'll let God take care of this. And you know what? You know where we lose it and we kind of get off track? Because then we find out, oh, he's not going to take care of it like I would. Because see, I know Jesus. And I know how he is with me. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't squish me. He doesn't, you know, cause me to get in a car wreck or anything like that to prove a point. He just leads me to the moment where he reveals something of shallowness of soul and says, you know something, friend? We're going to deal with this right now. And I realize that he's going to treat the people that mistreat me or the people that I hold something against, he's going to treat them just like he treats me. And darn it, that makes me mad. <laughs> Doesn't it you a little bit? Until you go, oh, God, forgive me. That is so, that is so small. 
So I always want to work on that. Lord, I'm not going to avenge. I'm going to give them grace and mercy because that's what you do. It may take me a while, but I'm going to do it. So what's the Jesus way? Number one, it takes a decision. You've got to decide. Remember, Jesus is on the cross, and I think it's his second to the last phrase out of his seven sayings. Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people don't even know what they're doing to you. Sometimes they do. But hear me, loved ones, we are part of an inverted, upside-down, cuts across the grain, goes against conventional wisdom kingdom. And Jesus, at the most at the most difficult, painful moment of his life, he's on the cross and he looks out at all these people and he says, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. Listen, forgiveness doesn't mean you condone the behavior. It doesn't mean you turn the wrongs into right. It simply means you give yourself permission to move forward beyond the injustice and the injury. Jesus starts and he makes a declaration. When I told you about these stories and I could give you others that have happened in my life, it always starts with a decision. I choose God on the basis of who you are and what you've done to me. I determine I am going to forgive. I am going to release them from my judgment. And then I say, Lord, what else do I need to do? Do I need to go see them? Do I need to write them? Or maybe they have passed on and I still need to do something. Maybe it's write a letter and then bury it. But oftentimes when it comes to this difficult decision of forgiveness, God will often move you to do something to bring what? Closure and ultimately healing. It starts with the decision because you have to go to the cross. You've got to go to the cross. The basic idea behind verbs concerning forgiveness has to do with what? Letting go, releasing. Forgive really means to give before. Before what? Before anybody deserves it. Maybe before anybody asks for it. Maybe before anybody repents of it. Maybe before anybody acknowledges it. And maybe even after they still won't acknowledge it. You give before. Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? People didn't even know they were sinners, most of them. People didn't know they needed their this Savior. But Jesus said, they don't even know, Lord, what's going on. Forgive them. And you know you're growing in largeness of soul and spirit with God when you're able to begin to move toward that more quickly and to release Because you know what the cross is all about, don't you, friends? It's about dying to self. It's not about me. It's about what Jesus wants to do and kill in me so that he can bring more life. And you say, well, pastor, sometimes, you know what? That's just impossible. I've been so hurt. You don't know what this person or persons have done to me. Then this is what I always recommend to people. Do what Jesus did. You know what he did? Did you notice Jesus didn't say, and I've told you this every time I talk about this, Jesus didn't say, Father, I forgive them. He said, Father, you forgive them. I don't know if this is true, but I, th- this was the thought that I have learned, a principle that when I've had to forgive people sometimes, it took me seven years one time to forgive a person. And my prayer was, Father, you forgive them because I just don't have it within me. And then over time, I just made that declaration. Then I could say it. Jesus teaches on the cross that forgiveness precedes repentance. He secured the pathway of forgiveness before anybody even asked for it. And that means you. You were forgiven before you ever acknowledged the need of it or desire for it. Next one is it's often a process or a journey. This is where a lot of people, especially Christians, get mixed up. Forgiveness is a journey. You may not get the response that you desire or you wanted. But the first focus for your life, loved ones, when it comes to this process with somebody else, is that you secure reconciliation. That's what I did with this brother that I went and sat down with in a little coffee shop. 
I was hoping there might be restoration. What is restoration? What's the difference? See, you can have reconciliation without having restoration. We had a car show last week. What we saw is a lot of those cars and trucks had been restored to their former way. But sometimes relationally we get into situations where where Romans says, just live at peace as much as it's up to you. That's reconciliation. You be reconciled to that person, even if you can't fully restore the relationship to what it was. And then I can walk away and go, you know what, this brother and I are probably never going to be close. And I really would have loved to have seen, quote, restoration, but I'm good at reconciliation. You know why? Because I did what I was supposed to do. And it is, listen, hear me, loved ones, it's a journey. Some of you think, some of us have grown up that we think, or, or in the faith, we think that, okay, if I forgive, if I decide to forgive, I'm not going to feel it anymore. Woo, I just feel good. And then they go, I forgive you. And they do all this stuff, and then they still don't feel it. You know why? It's a journey. It's a process. And sometimes it will take pain. One of my favorite rabbis put it this way. It's like a physical surgery or pain in our lives. The deeper the pain, the greater the hurt, the longer the healing. Do you think it's any different spiritually? You cut me open, rip open my chest, did work on my heart, there's going to be some significant healing and recovery and rehabilitation time. I scratch my finger two days. You get your heart ripped out in some way, It's going to take some time to heal. Give yourself the time. But every day you understand and you get up and you begin to say things like, Father, I forgive Joe because Joe blasted me. And I I don't want to recite it and rehearse it. I just want to forgive him. And you begin to do that and pray for that person or persons every day. And guess what? It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be five years. But if you are committed to the journey, healing will come. How do you know when? I'll tell you how I know when I can walk into a situation and two things happen. I don't have a knot in my gut and I wish that person well and I can pray for them. That's when I know that the journey is complete, that I've forgiven and experienced it in my heart. When I can bump into them somewhere, see them and go, oh, brother, it's so good to see you. That's when you know. Last one is simple. Remember where you started. You were bankrupt. You were broken. You had a debt. You were sin-stained before a holy God. And he said, before you could ever respond, I'm going to the cross. There's an old song, chorus. Says, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Paul penned it this way Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as little children and walk in love. I don't know if there's many greater ways to declare our love than to walk up to a brother and a sister, a friend, uh, someone that's hurt us and says, I forgive you. Or if you've hurt them, or if you had ill against them, to be able to say, sincerely, you, you, the, the, this relationship here is important because of this relationship here. I ask you to forgive me. With sincerity, with openness with repentance. I want you to bow your heads with me, if you would, please. I want you to take a moment, do a little personal inventory and say, Lord, are there any slivers in my soul this morning that I need to just be aware of? Is there something you want me to do about it? Do I need to acknowledge it? I want to live in freedom. I don't want to be imprisoned by pain or pettiness. And maybe you, the Lord will say, you know something? I, I want you to today 
I want you to make this call. I want you to make this appointment. I want you to do whatever. Maybe you need to go home and talk to your spouse or your kids. Sit them down. Don't slough it off. Don't take it lightly. Father, I pray, Lord, for all of us. It's so easy to miss things. It's not that we've got to do a roto-rooter job and dig deep and, you know, conjure up something, but I, I just believe there's things, like in my life, you bring them to the surface. You brought me into a situation where I had to acknowledge that that I hadn't thought about for a number of years. You brought another situation where I kept reciting it and rehearsing it. And finally you said, do you hear yourself? It's a problem. Deal with it. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring that to our attention today. If there's anybody here today, friends, that maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you are like that one servant that is so in debt you could never pay back the love that God has for you to make it right with him. You can only receive his grace, which you don't deserve, and his mercy, not giving you what you do deserve. And if you're here today and, and, and you've never done that, maybe today you just say, Jesus, I need your grace and mercy on my life. I want to live differently. I want to follow you. I want to live in this kingdom differently. And I would invite you just to say a simple prayer that says, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I want to receive you and your work on the cross today. If that would be you, just say that little prayer. And then on your connection slip today, just say, I, you know, Pastor, would you pray for me this week? And check the little box that says, I committed my life to Jesus. And maybe some of us, we need to get back there and never forget. We're all in debt to the master, Jesus. And if that just comes into focus for us today, it'll allow us to refocus on other people that have hurt us. So, Lord, thank you for this. Pray your blessing, Lord, upon these people. Let us live freely, unencumbered, uninhibited, Lord, the way you've called us to live with joy and forgiveness. In your name we pray, amen. And now, as you go forth... Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgives you. Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as our Lord and Savior has loved us and given himself to us today. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen.